Welcome to the third season of The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club. Here to check in with you weekly, to share your working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and that there's many of us outside of your current four walls, all trying to be the best coach, leader and manager we can be. Regardless of where you are working right now, at home, in the office or a blend of both, and whatever you do as a career, we've got something for you here at The Coaching Cast. I'm Susie, sales and business coach at Future You Business Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, still parenting that toddler who doesn't take too kindly to being questioned. And I'm Lisa, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsense called corporate mumbo jumbo, which suffocates rather than advocates. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment, presenting different topics each episode, which we will discuss with some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips for you to take away and try for yourself. We hope you enjoy listening. We've chosen to start this season with a special two-part episode on the subject of imposter syndrome. In today's second part, we will revisit what imposter syndrome means and how it presents itself before moving on to discuss how to manage this for yourself and also to support others who are suffering around you. So stay with us and enjoy. So before we get into this week's episode, Lisa, how has your week been? Well, it was a joy to join you and Steve in your wedding anniversary celebrations <laughs> on the weekend. Felt like, you know, nothing like being part of the third wheel. Third wheel. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It was lovely to have you both visit the pub and stay there to uh, yes. celebrate. Yeah, so my husband and I, it was our sixth wedding anniversary. There was some confusion over the theme, whether it was iron or sugar, but we kind of... Um, gone with with both elements in terms of presence and uh, we also had a lovely uh, night away where we stayed at Lisa's pub it was amazing Um, and it was very nice to see you and uh, your uh, your second home where you work yeah uh, yeah it was gorgeous I absolutely loved it Oh, good. I'm so glad you enjoyed it it was fun it was good fun to see you and we we were we were laughing about the experience in the pub weren't we because I was sharing with Susie how generally dealing with the the public at the moment has been a bit of a roller coaster because clearly there are many of us who are, and quite understandably, I do understand this, but quite understandably in many ways suffering with the effects of being in lockdown on and off for such a long period of time. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the impact on people's mental health of this whole experience with COVID and it's clearly been all over the press about the after effects and how it's probably going to affect many of us for a very long time. Bearing in mind, we're still living in some ways under quite restricted conditions and life hasn't really gone completely back to normal. It's still impacting our freedom. I think my experience of people visiting the pub has been a varied one this year because <laughs> I can definitely see the impact of this on people in terms of how tightly wound up they are. And Susie and I experienced it firsthand in the pub on we Saturday did. evening. Yes. Yeah, we so did. My pub is a very lovely pub. It sits in the Cotswolds. It's a beautiful setting. It's a very 
you know, quality experience. I would say we yes. are f- heavily focused on food. You have to drive to us. We're not a boozer. We're not a boozer by any stretch. But when boozer behavior suddenly Kicks appears, in. it's always a bit of a shock. So, yeah, we nearly had a fight breakout during the <laughs> evening. Uh, not triggered by Susie or her husband. They didn't suddenly like. <laughs> well, that we know of. <laughs> no, you didn't like to start fighting. Um, that I mean, God, I, I think we have had that before, actually, where we've had like wedding anniversary celebrations that oh, have God. transpired into like um, a slagging a match. Yeah, like in the I think that has happened, or where a wedding anniversary really doesn't look like much of a celebration when the two people just aren't talking to each other. Awkward. Mm-hmm. But no, Susie and Steve didn't fight in my pub, but one of my guests decided to pick a fight with another guest on their way out, which was a bit of a shock and quite funny at the same time I think they tried to challenge each other to a duel in my garden yes in the garden it yeah. was a bit random I have to say it, was, oh, it came out of nowhere I mean it that was guy really just, weird just like yeah. yelling at the other guys who walked past it was bizarre but it does follow a theme of the behavior I'm generally seeing at times from customers I told you wound up too tight people are wound up I think people have forgotten how to socialize and how to be decent outside of their house sometimes mm, mm. because we've all been sat inside not interacting with people and forgetting that we have to perhaps you know have manners and be polite and you know deal with other people and it honestly that situation it was it was yeah it was quite bizarre to be so, honest it totally interrupted me sipping on my glass of Bacchus how, how rude <laughs> how rude how dare they I'd had a long day at the pub I deserved she that had. sip she'd worked very hard I, had. I deserved um, that sip it didn't need to be like you yeah. know the tranquility didn't need to be shattered quite as much yeah but yes so clearly uh I'm seeing we are seeing the product of, of lockdown on individuals I think it's <laughs> where people are just they're so wound up in the perspective of I've been through so much already I'm not prepared to put up with any more so yeah, people's tolerance of others or things they don't like well, there is none. It's like, I'm not deserving of this because I've already yeah. gone through so much and now I'm finally allowed out. I'm going to enjoy myself and I won't let that be affected by anybody else. <laughs> it's a bit of that going on. Uh, I th- you know, fine people, if that's how you feel, but please take it out of my pub. Thank you very much. Take it elsewhere. Take it elsewhere. Anyway, lovely to see you, Susan. Congratulations again to you and Steve for your sixth wedding anniversary. Thanks. Thanks again for having us. It was lovely. Highly recommend. Um, yeah, it was nice. And, um, well, there's also some other stuff we wanted to talk about today, wasn't there? Which I know is a slightly different, uh, subject, uh, cause it's a little bit, um, more somber as a mm. subject. Um, but the reason I particularly wanted to talk about it was because I was a massive fan of the girl band that this person was in. So unfortunately at the weekend, Sarah Harding passed away from breast cancer, age 39. Um, and I was a huge Girls Aloud fan back in the day, probably still am actually. Um, and they were one of the most successful girl bands in the UK chart history. Did you know that? No, um, I remember watching the music reality show that they won and being yeah, me and my pop friends, stars arrivals. Pop stars arrivals. Me and my friends were just obsessed with pop stars arrivals. We used to watch it every week, and we loved mm. all, all of the girls, and we loved Girls Aloud, mm. and that we have I have very many fond memories of many of their songs and dancing around to them at university and before. And there's a particular one of their tracks. Um, which my friend Tally, who I'm going to call out, does the best dance routine to. Oh, wow. It's the, um, oh, what's it called? Is it going to, I'm going to make you love me or something. It's the one that's like a bit more like, da, 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 oh, da, 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 promise. Da. That's it. 
That's well, it, you need to stay tuned to the end of this yeah. episode because I have actually chosen a Girls Aloud song. Excellent. Song choice this week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we just wanted to kind of mention it because um, we were both uh, deeply saddened yeah. to hear the news of Sarah's passing and uh, lots of our um, thoughts and love go out to her friends and family. Today, we're continuing our discussion on the topic of imposter syndrome. Let's revisit what this term means. So as Lisa said last week, taken from the absolute Bible, which is Wikipedia, (laughs) imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all that they have achieved. In the first part of this special series of episodes, we discussed our experiences of it and how to identify it in both yourselves and other people. Today, we'll share our recommendations for how to manage and support those with imposter syndrome, including yourself. So, Lisa... What's your experience of managing imposter syndrome? So I talked heavily in the first part of this two-part episode about my personal experience of imposter syndrome in terms of how I have suffered with it. And I think when I talk about managing it, it comes from that place of very much my personal experience and how I managed it for myself. So I think as we talked about in that first part, identifying it in others is a challenge because from the outward uh, perspective, the person is doing a fantastic job, is really high performing, is very successful. And unless they themselves share actually what's going on inside and how they're feeling, you may not recognize it that clearly. So my experience of managing imposter syndrome is a very personal one in terms of how I have managed myself. And I recognize, therefore, it it may not necessarily relate to how you would manage it for other people. But I think it gives us, or I'd I'd like to think it gives us a starting point, at least. And I think based on what I talked about in that first part, I think a big part of it for me was actually talking about it with other people. Mm. You know, I think because you have that strong, a really acute feeling of, I'm going to fail. I'm going to be found out that you're constantly like kind of watching your back because you feel at your you feel threatened, not realizing it's you who is the threat, uh, as you're convinced that other people and you will and you will start you will start putting your perspective onto others. If so, to make more sense of that, I mean, you will start reading into what other people are saying to you more than you probably would before. You become very oversensitized to what's going on around you and you start distorting the truths and seeing things or even looking for things that just aren't there. So I know my own experience, it was exacerbated by not sharing it with anybody else. And I think this is fundamentally true, isn't it, of any issues we're struggling with. Actually, the more we stay inside ourselves, the worse it becomes. Mm. It escalates. So I think actually the first step in managing this particular phenomenon, but I think it's true of any, 
is to identify a person who you feel you can trust and to share it with them in terms of how you're feeling about it. It's quite possibly the hardest thing to do, especially if you have those really strong feelings of self-doubt and worry around the consequences of people, you know, believing and supporting what you're thinking of yourself. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to get the words out there. I was thinking that is the right way around. That is what I mean though. So to talk to somebody about it, it will it will feel terrifying but it is absolutely the the right first thing to do uh and I know it was the first step in my recovery from it and that was just expressing it and and I have to admit it was actually triggered by someone coming up to me during a lunch break in our work restaurant sitting down and he was a very um senior individual who I'd worked with over the years who I trusted implicitly and who really believed in me and supported me so I was fortunate to have someone in my life like that and I know not everyone is he just simply sat down and said are you okay because I don't think you are wow (laughs) and it was amazing and I I think I I think I nearly burst into tears over my sandwich um but no one had actually asked me if I was all right during that period of time and I definitely wasn't okay but no one had actually invited me to say that I wasn't. Yeah. And um, yeah. I think him, I think him asking that question and 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 sort of saying, I don't think you're okay, what's going on? And we had this conversation, and I sort of shared with him how I was feeling about the role I was doing and my lack of enjoyment and my worry about it, and the fact that I didn't feel like I was capable and I wasn't doing a good enough job, and that I am, um, you know, that I didn't think I had a future in that particular, in that particular job. And at the time I attributed that to the whole company because that's how I'd escalated it by that point. Um, I've kind of like, I don't think I've got a future here at all, which is what you will do, I think, when you're in such a bad negative place. And I remember him afterwards sending me an email that said, I think you're brilliant and that you're capable of doing an excellent job. And from everything I can see and hear, you are doing a great job. And I remember keeping that email forever. I just think I kept it and just kept referring back to it. but I think that leads nicely onto my next point around how to manage it which is I managed it for myself by starting to identify where those feelings were coming from and creating actual context for them so that I could make sense of them because obviously when you're in a space where you've got so much negativity and it's just escalating they Mm -hmm. start to lose any connection to reality they just they're just there they just exist and because they uh, become untethered from any kind of facts, they just grow. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger, like a snowball, you know, like an avalanche. They just get real like speed and then they're just like, it just becomes part of everything. I think anchoring them to begin with, with actual factual things that are happening or people help you to start make sense of them and to start go, okay, so where is this actually coming from? Why am I feeling this way? Because then you can objectify them. You can you can start going, right, now I've got something physical there that I can actually examine and look at and explore. I think that was one of the things that really helped me because when I was able to break it down, I could start then going, oh, so I feel this way, but it's actually related to that. And if I change that, then it may help me. So, for example, for me, it was actually the requirements of this job, when I break it down and look at it are things that actually I don't particularly enjoy doing. I I don't really enjoy doing these sorts of things. I don't really like 
generating lots of reports and data. I don't really like the um, technical aspect of this job in that I don't find that very interesting, actually. So it takes a lot of energy for me to try and do that because that's what the job requires. So I need to find because I'm finding so much energy and I'm forcing myself to try and enjoy it. I don't. So I think breaking it down and then going and actually I'm struggling with the relationship here with my line manager because my line manager doesn't I don't think really understand what I need. And actually, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it. So we, we're clashing, we're jarring consistently because I'm not helping him to manage me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that that's what I need. He doesn't know this is how I'm feeling. Um, he doesn't realise that I don't really understand and I'm not getting clarity enough about what his requirements are of me, my, his expectations. So then I'm not meeting them. And that's put me under more pressure. So I think it was... When I, want to, when I started to break it down, I was like, I can understand why I'm feeling this way. I could start making change. I think also, you know, the example of keeping that email from that senior manager and continually looking at it to like remind myself was a really helpful action. And again, it's something I would highly recommend, which is go seek out the evidence that demonstrates that you are great, that you are doing yes. a good job. Yeah. And keep those as reminders so that when you're having those down days or when you're those things are really you're really struggling with them you've actually got references that can help to challenge it so whether that be something written down or whether it is a person who can help be your cheerleader because you're not being your own it's so helpful um so you know there's definitely two things that I would I would offer but it's definitely got to be grounded in those facts I think the factual overlay is is really important because actually um, in any situation, when you overlay fact across emotion, it can help anchor what you're feeling and pro- either prove it, like actually my, these feelings are really genuine in terms of how I'm feeling or help you disprove it and break habits that you're, mm. you've created in the way that you think and the way that you um, view things. Mm. And, and actually, it is, a, it is a great way of doing that. But I think if you're in it and you're stuck in it, it can be hard to then go and seek those facts. And mm. just to provide a different perspective, um, as I mentioned in the first series, I've, uh, first episode, sorry, um, I haven't suffered from imposter syndrome. I've definitely had feelings of self-doubt for sure. Uh, I think, you know, that's pretty common. Um, but I have experienced peers and colleagues around me who have who have definitely suffered from it. And also I think I probably have managed somebody who I don't think it was kind of defined at that point, but I think probably was suffering from it. And that was a learning process as well, actually, as a manager, managing somebody who was suffering from imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, because I think just to give that perspective as well, you know, it can be hard to manage and encourage somebody who has, to you, glaring talent, yeah. strengths, achievements, and then they don't see it for themselves. That is That can be quite tricky as mm. a situation to navigate and also manage from that perspective too and I would say that in my experience of doing that the one thing that did help me um and it it links in with what you said around helping yourself as well is to stick to the facts is to provide the data where you can Mm. and, and also is to ask 
like what they mean to help you understand. So this person I remember was very much like, um, I'm rubbish at that. And I'd be like, okay, what do you mean by that? Like, can you tell me more? Like, help me understand when you say rubbish, what exactly do you mean? And when you say that, what are you referring to? And then, and kind of that gives you then that opening as a, as a manager to explore some of that with that person. And hopefully then gives you opportunity to start peppering in some of those facts, some of that like data to help them on their kind of journey of, of becoming uh, perhaps moving forward in terms of the way they think they're thinking mm. one of the things I think I definitely learned as, as a manager of somebody you know suffering from imposter syndrome is try not to argue with that with that inner critic <laughs> because that inner critic is really strong and it's what's driving a lot of their view and a lot of their emotions and thoughts and um it's actually about someone once said this to me I have worked for a really great manager who I've mentioned before Nick and he and he once was talking to him about how I I suppose like manage and navigate the situation in the best possible way for the individual and obviously as a manager as well and he said to me trying and get them don't argue with it but try and get them to be looking for better management of their own self-doubt rather than disproving their thoughts in regards to their own performance and their own doubts does that make sense in terms of how it's a little bit different um so rather than just argue with it and being like no you're wrong no I don't think that no da, 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 try and help them come up with options for how they can better manage their self-doubt themselves yeah. rather than arguing with it yeah. and I think I needed that as a manager, like somebody to give me some of those tips, help me in terms of how to perhaps navigate it moving forward. Because I didn't really have a clue, to be honest. And I think you raise a really good point because the fact is, if you've got those thoughts about yourself, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, that is what you think. Mm. So actually, the more other people say to you, but you're great, you're doing a good job, I don't know what you're worrying about, they're not actually helpful comments in those situations because the fact is, is you don't believe any of that. And those types of comments are quite general as well. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah, for sure. You're going to be fine, but you're great. You're brilliant. I like you. Like all those things, they're all meant with good intention, but they're very general and they're very brushed. They're like brush over what's actually happening. And as I said, when you're suffering with imposter syndrome, your inner critic is on loud and it won't quieten down yeah and it's on and it's on repeat so actually those types of comments it doesn't they don't mean anything because your your in your reference point is all internal at that stage so an external reference point is is useless yeah so it's absolutely true of what the advice you were given from nick which is try and support them to find ways to manage it for themselves, which I think is through creating their own um, reference points. They have to seek them. They have to go find them. Yeah. Because only when they have found them, will they believe them. Um, So it does take from within because it's definitely one of the things, you know, in terms of my general thoughts and advice of steps to take when you're managing this for, you know, supporting somebody else with this, I think it is really encouraging actions that get them to think differently okay so it's exploring with the individual what they're thinking in the first place because it's important to acknowledge it 
So that comes back to those that face into it, don't brush over it. So explore it in terms of what are they thinking? Describe it. How does it make them feel? You know, what words are in their head? Like what's the inner critic actually saying? Can they pick out the words? Do they yeah. see anything in particular when that's happening? Like really yeah. get detailed. I think you've got to do that first to acknowledge it in full. And then it's looking at, so what are the triggers? So like, I sort of shared within my own personal experience, there were trigger points for me that were in relation to the job itself and the requirements, but also people. So the team I joined, the line manager I had, there they were trigger points and it's, it, it, it's, it's important to explore. So what are they for the individual? Do they recognize when the thoughts are the, the loudest? So was there, are there particular moments? Is it in a particular meeting that happens on a regular basis? Is it a particular individual? Um, is it a particular task that triggers it when they have to do that? You know, it's just start to identify themes, I think. I think it's then clarifying the evidence that's supporting the, their feelings of imposter syndrome. So as I have said quite a lot, very little of this is based on facts. It is the own, you know, it is the individual's own fiction and I think it's supporting them to explore that and actually highlighting it. But that has to come from them. It can't mm. be, you know, here are all the facts that I found as to why you're great. Yeah, for sure. Because you don't have that view of them. You think that they're doing a great job, but they can't see it. So it is about supporting them to see it. So it's it's working it through in terms of, you know, what do you believe you've achieved? What, you know, what's been your biggest successes so far? What does success look like for you? How do you know when you've achieved something? What does it feel like? It's like literally going through that and then getting them to like document examples so that they've got it for themselves and they can see that. Um, Cause I think once you've got to that stage where you've acknowledged the way that they feel and you've identified triggers as to when it happens. So then you can start creating some real specifics for them so that it's no longer this big, broad, general thing. They can actually start breaking it right down into smaller chunks to look at and manage. Then it's looking at, right, so now you've got your, you know, your demonstration of what your successes are based on what you believe. Now can you start moving forwards knowing what your trigger points are so you can recognize them before they happen that you know specifically um you know you know what's happening for you when it does happen you've got that supporting evidence of when you know of the fact that you are successful so when it's triggered off how can you then start telling yourself something different yeah, how do you catch it before it becomes yeah. something bigger? And I know that's harder to do when you're in it. And I think just to build on what you've said there in terms of some of the steps that we would recommend in, in managing this you know, effectively, if you are also a leader or a manager and you have somebody in your team who <clears throat> is you know, de- suffering from imposter syndrome as well, I think based on some of my experience with it, I would also say as a kind of summary, if it's showing patience, showing warmth Mm. and some steady reassurance that it's safe it's okay you can open up I'm not going to judge you um is actually not all you need to do but is a great start 
Absolutely. I think that's definitely the last thing I would say, which is encouraging actually the individual for themselves to identify who they believe can support them during this time. A person they believe they can trust, they feel comfortable with, they're able to be themselves with. So that actually when they have those feelings of I'm a fraud, I'm going to get found out, that they know straight away who's got their back. And that, you know, I think it's, it's reassuring them that actually that person is you, but it's also making sure that actually they themselves recognize who can offer that to them and it will work. Mm -hmm. So again, it comes back to that, them taking on this for themselves to fix it. Cause that's what will build that self-belief back. Yeah. You know, it's all part of that process, which is, I am feeling like this right now, but I can get myself out of it. And you know, that self-doubt, well, when you when you can move yourself through this period of time, when you've got through to the other side, when you're feeling, you know, more confident, more capable, actually, the fact you've done it for yourself will build yourself, you know, self-belief no end. It's all part of that. And it'll help you visualize that success of moving mm. yourself forward out, you know, out and through the other end. And visualization is a, is a hugely powerful technique, um, which can really, if anybody listening, who, you know, who doesn't do visualization, really encourage it. It's, it's incredibly successful. There's a lot of research and theory and reading around it, and it can really, really help you in terms of moving forward. Um, what I do think is probably is just crucial to say at this point is that um, we aren't medical professionals. So if there is, if you are listening to this and you are really um, suffering with your emotions or um, you're managing somebody who perhaps is really struggling as well um, with their emotions, please do seek um, professional support. And we'll also share on our Instagram some resources um, to help you do that in support of this episode. <music> In every other episode, we will continue to feature a listener question shared by one of you, our brave listeners of The Coaching Cast, and offer our suggestions, thoughts, and experience for you to go and try to overcome your workplace dilemma or challenge. This week's listener question is from Katie, a regular listener and supporter of the podcast. So thanks, Katie, for sending in your question. Hi, Jenny and Lisa. It's Katie from Cheshire here. I'm a massive fan of the podcast and I was really thrilled to hear that in this season you're going to be touching on imposter syndrome. Um, Imposter syndrome is definitely something I've experienced before and I'm sure I will experience again. And the question I have I think is related to a kind of imposter syndrome. So I feel like I've been very fortunate in my career to have constantly progressed in every move that I've made so whether or not that's been financially or because the location is better or because the role has been better aligned to my ethics and morals I've always felt like it's been the right next move but equally I've always worried that this is my peak that it's never going to get any better than this and I know from history that isn't the case because I always feel like it has But that worry is always there, that constant niggle is always there, that this is going to be my peak and things are never going to be any better and I've got to do everything I can to protect this moment, this role. And I know that's not a healthy mindset, so I just wondered if you had any tips on how to avoid feeling like that. Mm. Okay, thank you so much, Katie, for sharing your question. Lisa, have you got any suggestions to help Katie? Yeah, so I think... 
The first thing I would say is, and actually you yourself, Katie, you described this in that recording, which is recognizing that you have continued to progress and evolve and improve and and move on. And that actually every time you you have be, you have that belief of I've reached my peak, you've disproved it by continuing to 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 increased your success so I think this thought you have what I would probably offer first is a reframing of it in terms of it has clearly supported you to be driven and fight for more achieve more it's actually been helpful to you to strive for better but clearly there's a balance and the fact that you yourself have risen this as potentially a challenge suggests it's it's one where that balance may not be quite right because it doesn't allow you to have peace and there's that constant um as you describe it worry which is obviously a feeling of negativity so I think it's about reframing the thought in terms of actually this is a motivator because it has pushed you forwards and you've recognized it's enabled you to it to gain greater success I think to build on that it's then when you have that sense of worry what can you replace it with that's more helpful and relieve some of that pressure so that it helps to create a new productive mindset because I think what we have to always be careful of is stopping a thought that's impossible we can't stop a thought because it's intrinsically part of us and so much of our in a narrative is deep seated from a very young age. So it's not just going to disappear overnight. It's more about recognizing for what it is and changing the way you think about it when it happens and then use it to to be more helpful to you. So I would say when it happens, stop, give time to pause and recognize the feeling and to acknowledge it and what it is. Reframe it in terms of what it actually means to you. So remember as you've just described, how it's enabled you to get to where you are and achieve what you've achieved. And then think about in that moment, just to enable it to be a bit more positive and dispel the worry, what is great right now? And what are you thankful and grateful for right now in this moment? And try and flip the worry to one more of celebration and acknowledgement of your success. That's what I would offer. Great suggestions there, Lisa. Thank you. I hope that helps you, Katie, uh, in in moving forward. If you have a question you would like us to play in an episode and offer your support, then um, you can email us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can message us on Instagram at thecoachingcast. And all of our listener questions can also be anonymous if this is your preference. It's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is get on the bus, a term commonly used when implementing something new and you need people to get behind it. So, Suze, what are your thoughts on this one this week? (laughs) Oh, get on the bus, doo-doo. Yeah, I have, unsurprisingly, used this one as well. (laughs) Um, I've also heard this being used quite a lot. Uh, Back when I worked in a big organisation, this was quite a common term that a lot of people use to be like, get on the bus, we're going to a new 
destination are you on are you off if you're not on the bus then we've got an issue um so yeah it's hilarious i also like this because as well oh actually i've got a prop for this bear with me (laughs) bear with me this is gonna be good going to be good i've got an array of props so this is the first prop this i'm holding a bus so this is one of my little boy's buses he's obsessed with buses so yeah if you want to get on the bus this is a a nice brightly colored yellow smiley faced smiley positive bus the positive bus to a new exciting destination um do you know what i should have got the buses out when i used this back in back in the day that would i think that would have had a better impact to be honest uh certainly would have made the mem- the conversation and meeting more memorable um but yes stay tuned to the rest of season three for more props more regarding props Cur- and go. courtesy of <laughs> excellent so a good one then get on the bus <laughs> We are coming to the end of today's special two-part episode discussing imposter syndrome. Our tips from the last two um, episodes and today for you to go away and uh, give a try are number one, try and break the silence, both for uh, if you are an individual yourself suffering from imposter syndrome or perhaps managing somebody who is. Work with that individual and or yourself to have a think about uh, describing what it is that you're thinking how you're feeling and also what your inner critic is saying or telling you number two what are the triggers so start creating the specifics break it down into chunks and overlay some of that evidence number three if you are managing somebody who is really suffering with imposter syndrome be patient show warmth and also steady reassurance Number four, who can support the individual or yourself if you're suffering? Who can you trust? Who can you be yourself with? And who's got your back? So who can you open up to when you're feeling uh, challenged? And number five, make sure you try and list your strengths and successes. Don't worry, you don't need to remember all of these now, uh, as all of our top tips will be available on our Instagram page at The Coaching Cast this week. We hope you enjoyed today and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or drop us a message on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard at the start of this season, then please give us a follow on Instagram at The Coaching Cast. Leave us a review on Apple and Google Podcasts. And most importantly, subscribe to the future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on YouTube by searching The Coaching Cast. Next week's episode, we welcome the wonderful Sally Hanna, professional performance coach specializing in supporting working mothers to talk about how to successfully balance motherhood and a career. I need to listen to that one. (laughs) (laughs) We both love music and use it to motivate and energize us. So we like to finish each episode with our personal song recommendation, giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next meeting. It's my choice this week. and I just wanted to acknowledge what we talked about at the start of the episode uh, with regards to Girls Aloud and Sarah Harding. So I have chosen The Promise by Girls Aloud. Great song. Classic. 
Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. And remember, you've got this. Bye.